This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York. City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theater. This seminar, performance. seminars on working in the theater. These seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York and 42nd Street, right in the heart of Times Square, right where Broadway, Off-Broadway, and Off-Off-Broadway come together to bring the magic of live theater. And the best that is in New York goes out across the country. And the best of the regional theaters across the country come into New York with their productions. So it truly is a cooperation of theater across the country coming from New York. The American Theater Wing is uh, perhaps the longest running service organization in the country. It is devoted to aiding the community, helping the community through live theater. We have many programs. We go into hospitals with live theater from theaters and, and nightclubs and all kinds of entertainment to bring a bit of magic and a, a bit of help to those in nursing homes and hospitals, aid centers, both for patients and their staff. We have a Saturday <coughs> Theater for Children program, which I think is terribly important. It is a program where children in their own neighborhoods come to public schools in the mornings, on Saturday mornings, and they line up They've bought a ticket to go to the theater. They have made a commitment. They know what it is to go to the theater as a need for it, as a habit. It enriches their vocabulary. It brings another world to them. And it also helps bring both parent and child together as parents cooperate in this program. And these seminars are an outgrowth of the WINGS program of training when people came after the Second World War and they worked and at their training, at their tools of, of, of what it is to work in the theater. Charlton Heston and, and Jose Ferrer and all kinds of wonderful people have come out of that program and were part of the program. The Wing this year has also gone abroad and uh, we co-produced with BBC Open University, a working in the theater seminar in London. And we've also gone abroad to Moscow, and we are co-sponsoring with the O'Neill Center the exchange of students coming to the O'Neill, and then the wing, under the auspices of our organization, will come to New York, where these students will be, then have a workshop production. The wing is truly a part of the theater part of 
the theater's history. Perhaps we are best known for the Tony Awards, which was named in honor of Antoinette Perry, who believed that training in the theater was terribly important. And so this award, which is given every year, is for having achieved excellence in the theater, not for the longest run, and not for the best reviews, but because their peers thought that they had given a wonderful, wonderful, excellent program and a wonderful, excellent performance, whether it was in the in directing or in stagecraft and in, in design, whatever it might be. And so that is what the, this stands for. I'm going to turn our panel over today to Jean Dalrymple, who is a member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing and who is author, director, producer, who's done about everything, has many hats, wears many hats, and very pretty ones <laughs> as well. <laughs> and also to Edwin Wilson, who is director of the Center for Advanced Study in the Theatre Arts at the Graduate School of City University. And they, in turn, will introduce your panelists to you. I hope you enjoy it. I know I will. Thank you. Thank you, Isabel. We, as you say, we do have a distinguished panel today, and I'd like to begin right away by introducing them. On my far right, a distinguished actress from Great Britain who is known to American audiences for her role as Sarah in Upstairs, Downstairs, the television series. She won the Olivier Award in London for her portrayal of Shirley Valentine, and she's been playing that part here in New York. Uh, she also made a film of this, Miss Pauline Collins. <laughs> to her immediate left, one of New York's finest stage actors, He's been in a number of films, too, but uh, he's delighted New York audiences for 34 years uh, in 61 different plays. He's been in 99, 99 altogether. Uh, he is in Lend Me a Tenor at the moment, but he's distinguished himself in Shaw, uh, in a number of classics, Philip Bosco. And to my immediate right, an opera star, a film star <laughs> in uh, a number of Mel Brooks films, as well as others, uh, a star currently in Born Yesterday, uh, but she's been in a number of musicals as well as stage plays, Madeline Kahn. Jean? On my far left is a young lady I love very much. She came to me as a more or less beginner. It says on the information they gave me that she made her Broadway debut in Do Re Mi, but I think she made it in my production of Carousel <laughs> at, at City Center. And, uh, and she also played there for me in uh, Finian's Rainbow. Yes, and she was wonderful. She came to me like a gift from heaven. Uh, just the person I needed for either one of those spots. Just a wonderful actress. She's now in Into the Woods, that great big hit. And uh, I know that she, I haven't seen it and I feel terrible about it, but I'll see it right away. <laughs> 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 
Next to her is Joan Allen, who, as you all know, is a big, big hit in the Hotties Chronicles. And <clears throat> she has been, she's from Chicago, and uh, she was perfectly wonderful in, uh, in Burn This. I remember that. But she broke my heart. And then the Nightingale Gale sang. You were just adorable. And right next to me is, is a wonderful actor that you all know, of course, because everyone has seen him over and over. Boringly uh, <laughs> so. Uh, no, never boring, never, never. And he's now in a, in a wonderful head. But before that, I want to tell you, he won five Golden Globes and seven Emmys. I really think that must be a record for any one actor. And I do congratulate you, Ed. And right now, of course, as you all know, he's in Born Yesterday, and, uh, and it's a big hit, and he's perfectly wonderful. And of course, Madeline's in it, too. Is she? <laughs> <laughs> this program. So, you, go ahead. Yeah, this ahead. program is working in the theater, and we want to talk to these artists about their training, about their experience in the theater. Uh, the way their careers have evolved. And I'd like to start with a question for the people who are listening. I think it would be very helpful, very informative, to know that moment in your career, when you were younger, when you were, were certain or you knew, perhaps for the first time, that acting was going to be your career, your profession. Philip, I'm going to start with you. Do you remember the, the, the event or the production you were in or the moment? When that I, happened? I, I've, I've been asked this uh, several times uh, in the past, as you probably uh, imagine. Um, and the answer that I've come up with is usually the, the, the production I did when I was uh, in the last year of uh, grammar school, the eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time I was ever on the stage. And um, uh, it was in a, uh, one of those old you know, grade school plays, happened to be called uh, The Fairy Cobbler. <laughs> in which I played Machiavelli the cat <laughs> in this huge black cat outfit with a very long tail. And apparently I stole the show because of the tail. And I, I imagine that uh, going home after the show with my mother and being complimented, my mother rather, being complimented by her friends and whatnot, made me feel terribly good. And I guess that spurred me on to go into another play and one after that. And I think that's the beginning of it. Because other than that, I can't think of any single event that uh, drove me forward. It was just kind of a cumulative thing. But were you, were, were you constantly in plays after that? In, after that, yes. All through high school? Yes, all through high school and then into college. That was kind of the beginning. So you never stopped? No, never did. <laughs> Can't afford to. Can't yeah. tell. <laughs> Pauline, what about you? Well, curious enough, I had a similar experience, but mine was when I was eight. <laughs> and um, my mother used to direct amateur dramatics, and there was a girl of 16 playing a, a, an 8 or 10-year-old, and she had to drop out of the play, which was a comedy called The Dear Departed. And I took on this role of the child um, at very short notice, at about a week's notice. And I remember the first time I went in front of an audience, it was such a, a marvelous feeling to have like, these, these lovers out there that I didn't know. Um, and there was a kind of string which tied us together. And I remember thinking, I, I want to do this. <laughs> and so I did. <laughs> Madeline, what about you? Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, then I thought sort of like four different... Um, 
moments, but the, the one that's, that's clearest isn't the first one, really. I mean, there was a great time I had in camp one time as a kid, and there was a time when I was really little, but the time when it really clicked, I think, was a student musical in college of Guys and Dolls. Um, and um, I had been having some problems in college. But I got to do this student musical that was not, in other words, one of the shows put on by the faculty, but one put on by the students. And um, <clears throat> I was really thrilled to get the role of Adelaide, and I promptly got the measles and <laughs> thought I would not be able to be in it. But there was a chance I'd be well in time, and they waited if I, for me, or they tried to wait. And I recovered just in time to attend, you know, the last couple of rehearsals, but I had prepared the role in my sickbed, you know. Um, you know, uh, just tried to envisage the whole production. And um, so that when I got there, I wasn't very familiar with the whole, uh, you know, process of the rehearsal. And when I got out in front of the audience and they responded so, I thought, I just, I, I mean, it was like a roller coaster. I remember being just uh, shocked. I'm thrilled. Um, I, and I thought, I mean, it was just uh, amazing to me. And I didn't assume that I would make a living doing this at all. But that was the first moment when I really felt um, this exchange with an audience, which was uh, just absolutely amazing. So that must have been the beginning. Tell them about Kiss Me Kate. Well, <laughs> Then we have the matter of getting into the business, which is a whole other matter altogether. <laughs> and and uh, later on, I, I figured one way of maybe getting into the business would be to uh, go to an audition and sing and get a part in the chorus and get my union card so I could then go to union auditions. And I wasn't a union member yet, so I, they were having an open call to be in the chorus of a revival of Kiss Me Kate at City Center, and I saying, I don't remember what, but Your I did get it. Your voice was fabulous. Thank you. We just yelled, grab her. I got into the chorus, okay. yes. They kept putting me in the back, though, and I'd like to know why. Nancy, what about you? In terms oh, of gosh, my mind is swimming. I, uh, I was one of those students. I mean, I, my aunt was a pianist, so I started piano lessons at four, and, and, and then I studied dance. And my first production was the HMS Pinafore when I was in kindergarten. And I do remember at the time that the little blonde got to sing the big number. <laughs> and I, I didn't like that. But I thought it was she always... Was the oh, yeah, she would be the producer. Um, but it was never considered a serious profession in my home. So all during the years I studied, and then I went to high school and college, I was, I was going to be a teacher, I guess. And then finally, during college, I, I did get into a summer theater for two seasons where we did 12 musicals a summer and uh, that was the beginning I went hmm <laughs> I like this uh, my parents till the day they died kept asking me to go back to college <laughs> to learn another profession something serious we're not kidding <laughs> but it was that summer I uh, I really when I knew it might be possible that I uh, well, you really had fell a in wonderful love with it. voice you still have a wonderful Thank voice you. but I remember very well when when you, like Madeline, just opened your mouth and everybody said, that's the girl. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> and you, Joan? Um, well, <clears throat> I think it started for me in, in high school also. I, 
I basically wanted to be on the cheerleading squad because I was very shy and I thought I could meet boys that way. And um, they would ask me, I would become popular. I was from this very small town and, and that was sort of the big deal. Well, I didn't make it. And um, so I tried to decide what else I could concoct to meet boys and maybe get kissed because I, my sister had all these boyfriends and I could talk to them, but any time I saw a boy, I like choked. <laughs> and so I thought, well, if I could get in a play, maybe, you know, I would, it would be romantic and it would be some, some young high school fellow that I, I would like. And that never happened. Um, but, um, <laughs> but the first play I did then was a one-act play uh, called Once Upon a Playground. Uh, in the Midwest, and I don't know if that's all over the country, in high schools they have um, what they call contest plays, and uh, one-act contest and, and speech contest. And every Saturday you get on a bus and you go to another school um, in, the, in the area and you do um, poetry or prose or, or they had one-act play contests, and that was the first play that I did. And, and um, it was about a bunch of girls who were sort of misfits. They all had something wrong with them. And I had braces that they painted on my teeth because I didn't really have braces. <laughs> and uh, and I, had, I just thought it was very exciting. You know, we got to go on the bus and, you know, go to all these different schools. And, and uh, the whole experience of acting with, with the other people and the other the girls, there was one boy in the cast. It was, was just so, so fun to me. It was just, it who felt so him, together. Who what? got the boy? Uh, the girl <laughs> with the funny nose. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the girl who had a funny nose. That was her, her failing. Anyway, that was the first. It was her failing? Everybody had something oh, wrong with them. Oh, her funny nose was her failing. Yeah, somebody <laughs> had. Well, it worked in this sense, didn't yes. it? <laughs> she got the guy. And how did you start? Um, mine is, is uh, as Madeline said, uh, mine's kind of a two-stage thing. Uh, no, no direct, sharp realization. Uh, I always loved to be chosen, but where I came from, you didn't, you didn't volunteer. You always were chosen. So even through high school, you didn't do that. And I, I never, I never felt I could, uh, I could perform uh, uh, adequately to uh, to ever consider it a career. Uh, went to a college where there was no theater department, but uh, extracurricular plays. And um, there I found myself during summer school volunteering to read for Murder in the Cathedral, and I ended up doing the lead. And it uh, became transported by it, but I still didn't think of being able to make a living that way. I uh, finally went in the Army after a number of these plays, and came out of the Army and joined a group in Chicago, and about the fourth or fifth show, we were doing Volponi, and I was Volponi. And the theater lawyer, big gangling guy, came up to me after the performance one night, and he kind of looking at me like this, and he said, very, very good, very good. I said, thank you, thank you. He had been very ungiving to me prior to that time. And he said, yeah, um, you, um, you, you think you'll make theater your career? And I looked at him, I said, jerk, <laughs> what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> so at that point, I think I realized I was going to make it my life. <laughs> Shall we ask about auditions? Go ahead. I think the uh, one thing when you start a career is when you go to your first audition, when you uh, read backstage and showbiz and so forth, and, and you finally go. And I'd love to ask, do you do that in, uh, in England oh, also? absolutely. I auditioned for Shirley Valentine. 
Oh, so they you do go really? on doing it. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. wonderful. Tell about your first audition. My first one, it was difficult for me to enter the theatre because I trained as a teacher in a drama school, so I, I didn't get the exposure that the drama students did. And I remember I wrote to millions and millions of reps. You know, do you have reps here? Repertory theatres, which is like stock theatres. Unfortunately, not millions and millions of. We have well, we don't have millions and millions anymore. <laughs> We'd like to have more. Yes, we'd like to have more. So I wrote to loads of them, and eventually one in Windsor agreed to audition me for a general audition, and I went and I did some piece or other. And it was a very nice woman who auditioned me. And as I left, there was a very voluptuous girl came up the stairs, very dark and beautiful, um, with huge bosoms, you know, and a wonderful <laughs> figure. And about a week later, I got a letter from this theatre saying from the woman who auditioned me, if I was as she remembered me, then she would like me to play an Arabian maidservant. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I rang back uh, to, to Joan Riley, who was running the theatre, and I said, um, I, w I would love to hope that I was as you remembered me, but I said, I'm sure that you're thinking of the girl after me who was huge and beautiful and dark. And she said, no, I wasn't thinking of the shape of you. I was thinking of your comedy timing. And it was me that she was. <laughs> <laughs> and so I played an Arabian, a rather fair, slim Arabian, <laughs> in, in those days, uh, Arabian maid servant. And that was my first job. And it was wonderful. And I got uh, six pounds a week, which is about eight dollars. <laughs> and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> How many weeks did you play? Uh, six. Oh, that's quite so a run. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first audition, Jean. Nancy, what was your first audition? Uh, professionally? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, at, when I came to New York, the first uh, audition was for Gus Shermer. Uh, I had come and was studying opera when I first came to New York, so I wasn't even auditioning. I just was studying and doing workshops. And I, this, I read in the, one of the little trades, they were seeing people for the boyfriend off-Broadway. So I, I learned a little number with an English accent, which I thought was very keen. <laughs> and I ran down there. I was the last one of the day. I, I just came tearing in like a little mad person. Uh, I sang this song as fast as I could in, in, with my English accent, and then I danced a chorus. And uh, they were stunned. I mean, I've never had such a <laughs> deathly reaction. Uh, I did get the job, uh, which then in turn, on a year passed, I did that show, and then it's my honeymoon night. Gus Shermer again called me again and asked me to do an off-Broadway play, which really got my, my career going. Gus but it's Shermer. so wonderful when you don't know anything. I mean, yeah. I just prepared this dumb little song. I just, <laughs> Let me uh, ask a question. Where did you learn to do the English accent? I had no idea. In between of loving the theater and coming well, to I a point where you could audition. Well, I worked in the summer, two summers. I went to Northwestern and studied. That's how I went. Mm -hmm. Though I was studying then to, to be an opera singer and more serious music. Took one acting class at Northwestern. And then, uh, but I have a very good, I do a lot of reviews. I have you a very good ear for. Before, just have a good ear for sounds and accents. And uh, I went to the movies. <laughs> I imitated somebody. I don't know who. But it, uh, and it was wonderful. Joan? Well, my experience has been sort of different. I think I sort of consider myself one of the luckiest people in the world because when I was a junior in college, um, John Malkovich, who I'd gone to college with, called me and said, do you want to come up and do a play this summer with the newly formed Steppenwolf Theatre Company? Um, and I said, 
Oh, well, sure. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll do it. And, and it was sort of a crazy Wally Shawn play called Our Late Night, which was very bizarre and funny. And, and uh, after that, I, um, I went back to college for another year, and then they asked me to join the company permanently. And so I never really, the first seven or eight years of my career, I never really auditioned. Um, it's, it was so marvelous because it created such a secure feeling. I was very shy and, and uh, I didn't really know what I was, if I hadn't gotten that phone call, I don't know what I would have done, where I would be today. Um, because it was a sort of a ready-made environment with people and actors that it was a family. I was, I was brought into another family immediately and we picked our own plays and um, we were assured a certain you know amount of work every year, and it was you know it was just yes. the most beautiful way to wonderful. get to get yes. to start. It really was wonderful. What was yours, Madeline? Uh, that that is very nice. <laughs> I must say that is very nice. I mean, I think well, that's perfect for maybe Shirley MacLaine could tell us why you had this. <laughs> but I, I know really. I that's okay. That I, I'm sure my way was perfect for me. Um, uh, Huh? No, no. I, well, I don't know. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, some there are some auditions I've done professionally which are very interesting. Uh, but the first audition I ever did really was for um, a, a scholarship to uh, college. Um, I was in high school, and I was in the one drama class that you sort of took in high school. Uh, where I was silent for most of the year, and uh, but I did raise my hand one or two times, and the <laughs> teacher noticed something about me, and she uh, suggested that I audition um, for this uh, drama scholarship to Hofstra College. I was going to go to Queens College, a city college, and be a teacher, and that was that. And I thought her idea was one of the worst ideas I have ever heard of in my life. Audition? I, you know, uh, and w I, I, re I, I resisted the idea, and I think my mother forced me to go. Um, <clears throat> because it would be a more special college experience than the one I would have had at a city college and couldn't afford to go to anything but a city college. So you had to do two monologues. I didn't know what that really was. <laughs> but I went to the library, and I found two monologues, one serious and one funny, as they say. <laughs> and um, terrified. It rained that day. That's enough for me. I'm not going. It's raining. <laughs> <laughs> You're going. <laughs> you are going. And I went, and I, you know, you, it was really uh, just like real life. You step out on the stage of the theater at Hofstra College campus, and there were some people out there in the dark. I don't know who they were, some few professors, I, I suppose. And I just stood out there, and I said, first, the, the, the serious one, which I did not understand at all. <laughs> and uh, I mean, consciously, I must have understood it on some level. Then I did the humorous one. And they laughed. Um, ah, that was a clue. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I thought, oh, this is something. This is interesting. And I, I, I got the scholarship. You know, and you know, to college, free tuition. Wonderful. Uh, so, so that was really where Terrific. it began. Mm -hmm. You, Phil. Well, I, I can think of two auditions that are memorable in my, in my life. The very first one that I recall 
was my first um, acquaintance with the, the university that I eventually wound up graduating from, Catholic University in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, this was in 1948, and I just graduated from high school. I, and, and may I preface this remark by saying, when you asked before what was the first, what got you into I really should have extended my remarks to include uh, my high school experience, because I met a gentleman there who was a retired actor, professional actor, named James Marr, a wonderful man, uh, I, as I came to love very much. And he kind of instilled the love of the theater in me because he regaled me with all kinds of stories and he took a particular liking to me and I think it was through his influence that I really decided to pursue it in a serious way. Anyway, I went to college uh, and I, was, I hadn't turned 18 yet, I was just 17, just brand new and wet behind the ears and I went down to uh, the university in September I think it was and they had already cast the production of uh, King Lear that, that was the first show of, of the, the major show of the season. And I was kind of devastated, but I went into the uh, rehearsal anyway, and there were still several small parts open. To make a long story short, I uh, was persuaded then to audition for one of the smaller remaining parts. So I did, they had an extended thrust stage, and I went down, and I uh, did something from Lear. And my f recollection of the director was Basil Langton, whom many of you yes, may remember. Yeah. <clears throat> he was very flamboyant then, probably is so today. <laughs> he, had his, he had a huge scarf wrapped around and his, his shirt was open to the waist. He was very dashing and daring. So I remember doing it, of course I was, I was terribly nervous, and he, he was in the very, very back, uh, back row of the theater and he walked all the way down the stage and I was waiting for you know, this pronouncement and the very first words out of his mouth were, when did you injure your voice? <laughs> <laughs> kind of a letdown, so. And I never did know, I don't to this day know what it was. <laughs> anyway, that's the one. But the other one, um, the other uh, uh, audition uh, that is uh, meaningful to me, um, just went past my mind, I've forgotten what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I was just about to speak. <laughs> I forgot what it is. It couldn't have been very memorable. <laughs> It's <laughs> why you remember. My wife is going to get me for this. She says, I'm my mind. Our, our auditions, that horrible, our auditions, that devastating to an actor. And, it, and knowing this, how do you prepare for them? <laughs> Can you ask? Look at me. I am. <laughs> I'm looking at you because you've been very quiet. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, yeah, they are horrible. And, Did you audition uh, for Born Yesterday? Uh, no. I, uh, Why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, according to Frank Rich, I should have. <laughs> according to us, you didn't have to. No, indeed. Um, I, um, I generally have been a failure at auditions. And, uh, uh, granted, there have been some memorable moments in my life when, uh, when I, I did make... I've done very little auditioning in life, and uh, I guess I get angry, and I get very tense, and uh, I don't know how to relax and, uh, and show the final performance in the audition, which is, I uh, gather, what we, where we should be. But uh, um, there was even a time when um, uh, I was performing Three Penny at uh, the Delice, and um, a friend of mine got up a company of, uh, of uh, players to do a staged reading of Edward II. 
So we worked and we rehearsed and we rehearsed and we finally took it before Lucille Lortel to put it on on her Monday night series there, Dark Monday Night. I'd been doing Three Penny there for a year, year and a half. And um, she told uh, uh, Bob Kidd, who headed our group, said, well, that she would put it on if uh, he replaced me with another young actor that she uh, had uh, uh, knew his work. And I, of course, was playing Mortimer, the lead. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so it was, it was a blow, and the, the guys discussed it, and I said, uh, look, I've got a job, Three Penny. Uh, you guys can get some notice by this. Go ahead, let, you know, replace it. So they voted on it, and they, they agreed to accept the offer, and they, they did it. I don't know if they ever worked again, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of luck I have with auditions. <laughs> Here's to you. I, all of you. I want to ask if oh. you, did you audition for Mr. Peachum? Yeah. See, we had done a pirated yeah, version in Chicago. Oh. And uh, I, I had the chutzpah to go and see Carmen and Sammy Chase, the producers, and say I was the Peachum there. So they, they looked at me as if, you pirate, you, you pirate, you. <laughs> said, well, maybe we'll, we'll have an opening for you. And several months later, an opening as one of the crooks. And they did that for about six weeks, and then I went in as Peachum. Yes. It was a wonderful Mr. Peachum. Yes. I remembered the second one. Can I just say it briefly? <laughs> so I don't look like I, I'm here. I am sitting with egg all over my face now. The second one now it's come back to me. It was a John Golden auditions, which you remember. Yes. I was still in high school, so it must have been in the early '40s. That's right. And uh, in those days, I wish they'd continue that. That was a wonderful practice yes. in those days. And many people. It was on 13th Street where we did it. I've forgotten the name of the. It was a basement of a church. Right. In any event, uh, I auditioned. We had to audition with a humorous piece and a serious piece, and I remember them to this day. The humorous one was a, a, a monologue from It Pays to Advertise, and the serious one was uh, Shylock. And I remember being asked uh, at the end of it, of course I was rather summarily dis dismissed, and he said, why in heaven's name did you choose to audition with Shylock? I was every bit of 16 years old, I think. <laughs> As I liked the speech, I did the, you know, the famous uh, monologue. Anyway, that was it. <laughs> I, I wanted all of you, uh, are now, uh, and you certainly have been, involved in plays and productions uh, in which comedy is a major element. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about or ask you about the problems and the perils and the joys of playing in comedy and the difficulties in terms of audience response and so forth. Uh, do you want to start off? <laughs> problems, perils, and what? Joys. Joys. <laughs> um, well, I'll just say what leaps to mind. I'm, it's probably a vast topic. I, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult, um, and largely because it's, I think, part of your job not to show that it's difficult so that people can enjoy themselves. They can just sit back, in my opinion, and not feel that they have to laugh. They can laugh if they want to. If they don't want to, they don't have to. Uh, and that, that way you, you provide um, a nice setting for them. And so, uh, you, you, the work that you do um, is, I think, has to be pretty well-crafted and grounded in, in real, uh, just as serious work as you would do in a straight role. And you may not get credit for that. That may not be recognized or seen. You may, in fact, have to feel um, rage or pain or something like that in order to make the joke work. 
and so there you are feeling the necessary, my opinion, rage or pain, let's say, and you never really get to release that or you never get relief from it, really, um, um, in, in, in the way that you might in a, in a straight play. Um, I enjoy doing comedy. I mean, there's obviously something about it that feels right to me. I, I feel suited to it, uh, whatever the uh, thing that is required. It comes sort of naturally to me, so, so um, I haven't broken it down completely yet. But um, it, it's sort of like making the dessert for a meal rather than the, um, you know, the main course. And you're the one who makes this bonbon or this souffle, and, and it's very hard to do. And uh, yet, at the, it's only the dessert, you know what I mean? <laughs> that type of thing. Um, so far, that's the most right. important thing I, I could say so. about I it at this point. I think that's absolutely right, my you, You're on stage all by yourself, <coughs> yeah. Shirley, and, you have, and a lot of it is comedy, so you must yes. have to deal with that, and I'm sure it changes from night to night in terms of the audience. Indeed it does. I, I mean, first of all, I, I agree absolutely with what Madeline says, and it's much harder to make a meringue than a roast, I think. Um, and I, I think comedy has always been regarded by many people as the poor relation in the theatre and as an easy thing to do. And it's not at all easy, comedy. Oh, very first of all, it has to be rooted completely in reality. Um, and secondly, uh, you're more aware of the audience's judgment in a comedy because you are supposed to make them laugh. Now, I think we should not forget um, that people also smile, but you, you can't hear a smile. You can only feel a smile. Um, and, and therefore, I'm lucky in Shirley Valentine because I can see you a lot, and even when people don't laugh, I can see them smile, which is good. Um, but it has always been a source of amazement to me that people on the whole in England get knighted for playing Shakespeare. <laughs> Um, and, and most particularly the serious roles in Shakespeare. Uh, and I, I think that comedy, maybe we're banging on a bit too much about this, no, because no. that's what we play, but I think comedy has a much directer line to the heart of the audience. And many playwrights, like Willie Russell, for instance, who wrote Shirley Valentine, particularly choose comedy uh, through which to express very serious issues, because it seems to be the way life is, you know, and I mean, in the midst of the terrible dramas in life, we often laugh, don't we? So. I'm always struck by the uh, story, which is attributed to John Barrymore, but I'm sure it, it, it may indeed have been any other number of other actors. Uh, on his deathbed, someone, one of his closest friends was over him and uh, asking, he was obviously in, in the last, uh, <laughs> last hours or minutes of his life, and this person leaned over saw him and he said, uh, John uh, or Jack, how is it? Is it, uh, is it? is it difficult dying? He said, no, uh, dying is easy. <laughs> Playing comedy is hard. <laughs> that was Edmund Gwen. It was Edmund Gwen. <laughs> well, he was close. Uh, <laughs> well, 30, 40 pounds. <laughs> I think also you have to be highly trained to do comedy because there's an essence of timing that comes into that. And you, you don't know that timing unless you have worked in front of so many audiences and done so many plays that you bring this timing to it. And I think that's the important thing. And you've talked about audience so much. 
Pauline has to play with herself in terms of the... As they say. But everyone else, everyone else here has to play... But yeah. I don't. You don't. No, you play with the other... I play with the audience. <coughs> That's play right. with the audience. And, and the audience is That's really the timing I was talking an about. An integral that. part of, of any performance, but obviously, particularly when you're on your own. And, um, you know, that's who we do it for. We do it for you, the audience. We don't do it for each other or for the critics. We, we act for you. And you, the audience, are the co-stars. Even when there are ten of us on the stage, you're the eleventh member. Or the but the, the, the thing that Isabel was talking about in terms of timing, really the ensemble that people have to develop, you and the play you're in now, the Ed and Madeline and their play, and you... you, you have you done a lot of comedy, or is this uh, something? Because there's, a, I was speaking of, of Joan, because sure. you, because the Heidi Chronicles is very funny in many places. Yeah. Is that a new experience for you? There were, there were funny things in Burn this too, as well. Right. I think I've done plays that have more comic parts or element, you know, part comedy, you know, that turns serious or sad or whatever. Recently, um, and Heidi certainly is an example of you know, has, has a lot of, of comedy in it. And I feel like it's, it's um, very hard to do and very hard to do well um, and very um, difficult when um, I think what Madeline said was so good that you need to allow the audience to laugh or not and not, you know, um, you, you have to be grounded in, in a very real world. And I think basically the timing is is, is coming from a very real place. Um, and, and if you think too much about, whenever I think too much about a comic moment, I lose the laugh yes, every time. If, I, if, if it even enters my head, you know, and I may technically from the outside, the other actors will go, well, it looked the same to me. But there's something in your brain that the audience picks up and knows. And it's very, uh, I find it, Boy, sometimes it's extremely painful if you, you put yourself out. And even if you, you put yourself out and it just like falls flat, you, I've been devastated many moments in the Heidi Chronicles where I thought, God, boy, I really, and even if I thought I did it well and they didn't laugh on a particular night, it's just like, it's very hard. I, get, I, have, I die a little bit inside and you have to sort of regroup and go, it's okay, you know, it's, no carry margin, on. No margin for error in comedy. There really is isn't. When you do a serious very show, delicate. It's like lace, you, know, you can make you know. several mistakes and not really feel uh, terribly put out uh, because you figure, well, you'll get them at the end. But in comedy, it's every moment you've it's got very to get delicate. Delicate. I, I wanted to ask Especially it. Especially in, in Lend Me a Tenor, as you're doing it now. Yes. How did you arrive at that pace doing rehearsal? Well, I, I must credit uh, the director, Jerry Zacks, mm -hmm. primarily uh, with that. He's an absolutely wonderful director for this. I, I, I assume he does uh, as well with others. I, I, my only experience is, uh, with him is he in is, this. He's awfully And good. he's absolutely wonderful for this kind of thing because his attention to detail and, and the precision is, is, is like a, 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 a master sergeant in the army. He's just wonderful. He, he will not let you rest. Uh, until you know the thing works properly, and and his, he's uh, absolutely demoniacal about pacing and precision. Were you able to get that pace, that rhythm, during rehearsal? It, it takes a while. No, mm -hmm. it takes. Uh, we played uh, four weeks in Baltimore before we came into New York. In fact, we we followed Ed and uh, Madeline. Mm -hmm. in we the, made it easy for them. <laughs> 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 Uh, 
felt in, we didn't do as well in Baltimore as we did. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it. It took us, it took us quite a while to get there. I wanted to ask Ed about, in terms of comedy, the difference uh, between comedy in, in terms of television and comedy in terms of the live theater. Well, you have to remember that, that uh, the comedy I did in television was with an audience of 300 people. And, uh, you know, when we first started Mary Tyler Moore, uh, you know, we, we'd do the shtick and very few laughs. And the seasoned director we had, Jay Sandrich, and some of the producers said, wait, 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 wait till we go on the air, wait a few weeks, they'll start to know you, they'll come in. And slowly, gradually, they'd come in and it would be this lovely warmth every week. I mean, it was the ideal from what uh, Pauline was saying earlier of, of that symbiotic relationship. And, and, I mean, they were laying it in front of you. And we had the, the best of all possible worlds, a 300-member audience, which is a lovely size, and, and putting it on camera. Uh, uh, people have, have postured to me that, that um, postulated to me that uh, they are beginning to think that maybe audiences have, have uh, lost the ability to laugh. I don't know, because I haven't been appearing before live audiences. But I talk about the gross variances we have in our show, up one night, down the next, and, and we can get out there and we, you know, the first, <coughs> and, and you leave that little crack so that they can have their laugh if they want it, boom, 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 and finally, I, I don't know about the rest of the cast, I know with me, I said, God damn them, you know, so, all right, I'll just play the hell out of this. So we play the hell out of it like, like, uh, like, like a juggernaut. And then, you know, then finally we go into a, uh, a nice sweet scene with Madeline and the reporter, and the laughs start coming in big, and that, that's close to the, the first act intermission. You come on in the second act, and it's, and it's big, it, and, and I can't figure it out. I, I don't know whether they've lost, whether they have to, come on, come on, come on, whether you have to do this for a while or what. I think that mm -hmm. actually sometimes audiences don't want you to throw too hard at them. And, and I've found through the years, and, and it was uh, an, an English actor who taught me this called John Standing, who was a great comedy actor and farceur, and he said he learned it from Rex Harrison, and that if you have a very difficult audience, you should just go back, 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 and let them come out to you. And, and then gradually, because they get a bit frightened. Some, some audiences are frightened of the closeness of the relationship between the actor and the audience, and therefore they want to come gradually to you, like a frightened puppy or something. <laughs> I knew this would be worthwhile for me. <laughs> comedians tell the audience before they speak, listen kids, this is going to be funny. And then they say it and the audience laughs. Yeah. Especially yeah. the stand-up comics, that's yeah. the way they all do it, I notice. And it's a very good thing to do in the theater too. I, I know, I played comedy when I was a young girl. And I used to go out there and say to the audience, this is going to be very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and they would laugh. Oh, you did this, huh? Yeah. So you fall into that line of great comedians, huh? <laughs> I'm talking about 60 years ago. Well, you never lose it. It was it's easier about than the audience. What's the difference in the reaction of the English audience to the American here? Well, I found the American audiences here are much more... Uh, immediate and voluble, and that's probably to do with the difference between our two nationalities, because 
the, the English will write me letters and say how much they enjoy it, but they sit more quietly back. And uh, I, I think uh, American audiences let you know immediately if they love it or hate it. I have to say that I really am enjoying playing here. I mean, it's oh, I'm just glad. wonderful to, to be in New York. And I was, the socks were scared off me, of course, before I came here because I'd heard how tough they were. Really? But yeah. I love you. <laughs> Nancy, what about the witch? The witch. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, this has been great fun for me. This this incorporates everything we've been talking about today. I mean, I did not want to go audition for this. I mean, I I ran right smack into that. I thought they know who I am. There was a moment of that, and then I had to realize that James Lapine indeed did not know who I was or didn't know me very well. This is the director the, of uh, Into the, the Woods. Yeah. He directed and wrote, and wrote the book. So I did go meet him, and he was gracious. He did it so nicely. He said, I, I am not very familiar with your voice. Would you sing a few bars? So I thought, well, I could do that, <laughs> which I did. And, and I got the job. And he reminded me again the other day. He said, don't try to be funny. I mean, I, have, I get those reminders a lot because I do like being over the top, I must admit. It's a terrible trait. Um, he said, you're already funny. You're already funny. He yeah. said, just trust it and, and go do it. Because I have a tendency to kind of overwork it if I don't think I'm really quite getting to them. And in this part, uh, they, but though, and they have written some outrageously funny things, but on the most part, they want you to play it real straight uh, and not give in to that. And it will be funny anyway. And so that's an, I have to relearn that, that lesson all the time. And Ted Knight, when I did the series, was a wonderful teacher for me because he said, I can see it in you. You want to be funny so badly. <laughs> he said, just be nice. He said, really be a person on this show. And then they'll let you, you'll do some funny things. And, don't, and it did. It paid off so well. In fact, television helped me to be a more honest performer, I think. It allowed me to really trust being a human being and a person and... And instead of always working big or whatever you feel you have to do in a musical, it really allowed me that ease. Uh, what you both are talking about, Pauline and Madeline, allowing the audience to, to relax and, and take you as they will. Um, now, unlike, yeah, see, oh, yeah. unlike television, where you did have that live audience, that, which you <coughs> said was such too, a, yeah. an ideal experience, in film you don't, though. And, no, uh, and no. so that does make a big difference, I'm sure, oh, in terms no, of... Oh, uh, no, it's murder in film. There's the, lady, there's the yeah. expert. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, um, I think uh, um, in the material itself, uh, this is what I do, um, you, you see something, as though it were a piece of music, and it, which is much more definite, obviously. There are these notes, and you sing the notes... Um, uh, but in, in that same way, there is the material, there's the text and the situation and so on, and you have that, and you see it yourself, what you think the truth of it is, and what you think is humorous about it, and you do think something's humorous about it, because I think simply playing it straight is different. There is a difference. Uh, you can turn something humorous into something serious. You can do that, and suddenly... Um, some lovely English comedy can become um, very maudlin. I mean, I've seen it happen. So there is something that you do where you do understand that it's humorous. But, but, but then you, you just sort of do the piece uh, and um, as you envision it in your mind without the audience 
there. In a film, there isn't one. Actually, there are people, but they have to be very quiet, so they can't respond. Um, so you have to just do it as you see it and as you've maybe worked it out with a director and allow it to be seen by the camera. And, and, and you kind of give up the response. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do the truth that you see in your mind, as though you were painting a canvas. Don't you think acting is very mental? I do. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. I do. I, w I would say, in, 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 in addition to what Madeline said, that with three-camera three television, uh, uh, when, you're, when you have <clears throat> good writer-producers and a good director, as we did with Mary, who are experienced in, in, in the business, all that week they're bringing you along, no matter if they've seen it 50, right. 100 times, when you're doing it right, on the line, they do a laugh. They're doing you a laugh. They're bringing you along. They're, they're giving you that little denotation that you're there, you're in there, you're in there, so that you don't begin to self-doubt at, at, at the silence. Uh, then you, you deliver it to the audience. In film, I gather, what happens is they give you the laugh during rehearsal, during rehearsal, they're, they're giving you the laugh, or they should be. I would think if, Sometimes if it's not good. Sometimes you please the crew, and this is the worst thing you can do. Uh, in a film, uh, you, you do things to make those people laugh, and it really is not the truth of the material. And you do things to make those people laugh, you make them laugh, and when the movie is made, it is not funny. Well, then the director has to know that. Well, yes, but they often don't. <laughs> uh, they often don't. They often don't. I, I, uh, sometimes they you, do. You found that with yourself? I certainly have. Do you sometimes watch rushes? Uh, I haven't done that. I mean, I, excuse me, I have not. Oh, and that's why I'm a wet blanket. I am, you know I'm a wet blanket. You know I. I don't try to please. I don't. I, I try to. I see it. It looks desperate to me. I'm sorry, but it does. Trying to please uh, the people who are standing there. That may, maybe you will please them, but I mean, uh, deliberately doing that so that you know they'll laugh and that that's your proof that you've done it well, as opposed to really dwelling on the task at hand and the material at hand. Um, I don't uh, just try to get the approval. That, that's not what I do, and I very often don't get it, but I have to believe, well, anyway, I made the choice that what I'm doing is right. And I, I, I have to say that invariably, in my case, it has been right, and therefore, I think I've escaped uh, scathing notices in some very bad films. I have escaped. I floated away. <laughs> you know, in some really bad films. <laughs> Jumping from films and television to the theater. What brought you here, Nancy and Ed? What brought Madeline? Starting with the agent. Did an agent call and say, why don't you come back to Broadway? Why don't you come back moment, to the theater? Uh, during the for Into the Woods, for um, Yes, it was just that. I, uh, but I'd also, I had seen Into the Woods right as it opened, and I went, hmm, I could do that. Uh -huh. uh, and we all know at the theater today, I mean, there are very few musicals. They're just... So now that has become a wonderful job of coming into an already existing show. Um, so I kind of kept track of it. And Bernadette's leaving, who's coming. I mean, I'd, every now and then I'd make, just make a phone call. And finally they called and said, yes, they were looking for new people. And uh, was I interested? Because it meant relocating again. Mm -hmm. 
but it was at a very good time for me. I really, I needed to do something different. I really wanted to get back here. Ed? I, I was uh, fatigued from the Brandons of the world and uh, uh, needed a, needed a, uh, a rest from uh, uh, TV. Uh, and they, uh, uh, an agent and a couple of producers in, in uh, New York had been trying for about a year to put me and Madeline together uh, in this show. And uh, I had nothing better to do, and, uh, and the thought of working with her uh, was magic. <laughs> what a mistake I made. <laughs> I'm amazed I'm alive to tell it today. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, we got together and uh, uh, never regretted it. Not what that about you? <laughs> See that tough? No, not at all. See the no, difference? I'm the <laughs> See the tough one? No, no, you're not. Um, I've been wanting to get uh, back on the stage for a few years. Um, I live in New York and always have, and have been in many productions, but not in several years. And the idea of actually working in the same town that I live in really became very interesting to me. And I, I, I just didn't find um, what I thought I might find in TV in my couple of experiences there. Um, the movies that I had been doing in the past few years were very disappointing, and I very much wanted to get back on the stage and um, tried in, in a couple of different cases, didn't get chosen. And this was really something because uh, Garson Kanan um, uh, came to me and asked me to, to do this. So I was floored. Oh, we're delighted that. that you all did. <laughs> we're going to have to take a break right now. And uh, you can stand up and stretch. And, but don't go away because we'll come right back again all, with questions <laughs> for the panelists. And I'm sure there are lots of them. Bad form. So just quickly <laughs> do whatever you have to do and come back in your seats again. <laughs> This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York.
opportunities in this theater. We're back at the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre, which are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And this is a most distinguished panel of performers discussing what it is to work in the theatre. And we've now been talking about so many things that are important, important to the audience and important to the students of the theatre. We had stopped when we were discussing the difference of working in California and working in New York, working in movies or television, and working in a live theater. And three of our panelists have come this season to work in the theater. And I think we talked to everybody here about that. But now let me go back and, and continue this with the theater people that have not come from TV or movies to work in the theater. Would you prefer going back and doing the same thing there, or do you prefer working in live theater here? Well, I, I Whether it's here or yeah. at Chicago or any place, live theater versus the other. I, I prefer live theater. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, it's where I feel the most comfortable, and uh, it can be, it's, it's very gratifying, the immediacy of it, and it's, and um, I mean, it is, it is something that I've done the most of, you know, I've done it since I was like, you know, 14 or 15 now, and so I feel very s grounded in that area. I think I find film, uh, I've done a little film work, um, I find it's a very different way of working. It's a different kind of concentration that you have to have, and I find that sort of challenging because I don't really understand <laughs> how you you do it. You know, it's it's long, long hours of waiting and and working five minutes, and and it, it takes. I think it's very difficult to work in film, um, from my experience of it, and uh, I think I have a lot more understanding and compassion for what I used to consider mediocre film performances. I think it's harder. It's, it's much harder to do than I, I ever think imagined. So. I think it's very difficult. I think to it's work very hard medium to work in, and, and so I find it sort of when I do work in it, it's sort of challenging and it's sort of on the job training and trying to um, hone and develop other skills that are different than, than in the theater. And uh, so I find it sort of challenging that way. I, I, <coughs> my views are very similar to Jones. Uh, I actually don't. I had to split it, I think, to, to discuss it from my, my point of view. I love to do film because the money is so much more than you ever get into. <laughs> it is. It's, it's uh, uh, I guess, a reflection of our times, uh, but uh, you can make more in a film, even at the level that I work at, uh, you have fairly small roles, and make more in, in, in a one week of movie making than you can make in, uh, a, with the single exception of my Broadway show now, where I'm getting a fairly decent salary. And most of the work I've done on the stage has either been at the Circle or roundabout or some equivalent institutional theater, and you get very badly paid, I'm sorry to say. Uh, well, you know, we, we, no, the, the argument usually is, you know, you wanted to do it, so what are you complaining about? <laughs> and I'm not really complaining. It's just that the discrepancy is so great between the two. But artistically speaking, I, I don't like to do films at all. I think that they're absolutely a totally different experience than acting on stage. And I, I for myself, I don't really think it's acting in the same sense. Uh, I don't presume to be an expert at any of this, so forgive me if I sound uh, quasi-pompous about it. I'm not. I really don't mean to be. But I, uh, what little I do know about acting in films is it's really more behaving than acting. I wish I had a nickel for every time I've been told, and I've heard others who have similar backgrounds been told, 
stop acting. What are you doing? Take it easy. You're too big. Relax. You know, everything is too... Well, I said, my heavens, we spent most of our formative years learning how to do these things. This is what an actor's supposed to do, to be somewhat larger than life, to be able to project his voice to the back of the house. Don't ask me not to do it. How can I... This is, you know, this is what you're paying me for. But it is, it's, it's really a completely different experience. And it's not satisfying at all in the same sense that doing a play is where you go on, you're, you are, let's face it, the star, regardless of the size of your part. Once the rehearsal is all done and the stage manager takes over the show, it's the actor's show. In the movies, it isn't. It's really the last, you're kind of like the last thing on the bill. They, they, they spend an enormous amount of time on lights and positions and the weather. And it's almost at the very end, they say, where are the actors? Okay, let's go. <laughs> and then you've got to do it. And if, God forbid, if you shouldn't do it in three takes, it's like, what, what's happening? <laughs> Come on, there's a lot of money involved here, you know? So I hate it in that sense. That's, yeah. that, that's very true, but I think that's one of the reasons why I was always glad to give up theater whenever I did, because of the anarchy that I found prevailing. Mm -hmm. That that director was not there, that the, the stage manager wasn't strong enough, and you had 18, 20, 25 animals, as they refer to you in film, <laughs> running around amok. And, and, and I longed for that director to come back and... And, and put that. I, re I remember seeing, uh, seeing uh, uh, um, uh, Ruth Gordon's uh, um, in uh, The Matchmaker. Matchmaker. Uh, uh, and, I, and in those days, of course, we were on two first, so I w went finally to see The, the, the Matchmaker. And, and I saw anarchy on that stage. I mean, it was like the week they closed. <laughs> anarchy. And I, and I think every show is, is capable of it, and, and, and I think it, it's... That's irresponsible. It is, yeah. I, that's I, very My experience hasn't been quite like that. I would say the reverse. I think that's rather I, I the exception than the rule. Yeah. Yes, I would agree. Most actors I know are fairly disciplined. And, Today, uh, I think there's much more discipline in the theater than there used to be even five years ago. Really? They used to go away and just leave the play and the mm -hmm. actors to do what they wanted and not pay much attention. Now the original director comes back and watches and makes note and calls a rehearsal many, Maybe I've many been lucky, times. But, but my I'd say you've been lucky. Right. My experience has been that, that that's not really the case most of the time. There are so many questions that are waiting to be asked that we'll now go to them, but there's so much more in the discussion. Maybe we'll get back to that, too. We, we didn't. But we'll come up and ask your first yeah. question. My name is Anna Goldwasser, and I'd like to ask anyone, um, how do you bring new meaning to what is essentially a repetitive rendering uh, of the same, same thing day after day. How do you keep it fresh? And I have heard already uh, that it's the audiences are always different. But I, I would like something a little bit more than that, for something personal um, from someone. Okay. I, I, the audience is always different, but I just, I find that I'm always different too every day. Every day I'm dealing with something else and uh, and our show is a, a real company show. There, it's, everyone has a wonderful part, and everyone really has to contribute. We have a lot of uh, people. Well, like this year, a lot of people were sick, so there are new people on stage every night. I mean, I've been in the show four and a half months, and I've not had the same cast, I don't think, twice. <laughs> and the director has come back. I mean, we really have worked. Mm. But I love it. I mean, I, I'm, I've never gotten bored in a performance. There is always something. There's always some little thing. And it usually has to do, starts with me some little feeling I have that's different and it's just I want to see how good I can be that night <laughs> see if I can do it right this time that alone will keep it going strong for you I pick think. a good play mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the first rule that's right <laughs>
Hi, my name is Todd Murray, and um, I'm curious to how the audition process was different when most of you most of you were going to open calls and just starting through. Uh, today we get to a, an open call half hour beforehand, and there's already 200 people signed up. And I'm curious if that's always been the case, and if it hasn't, what is the same? What is what is the one thing that 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 we need to transcend to the directors, the casting directors, to be hired? What is the same? Good question. <laughs> um, can I just say something? We don't have the same kind of open calls as you have here. Um, I mean, people don't just turn up. You have to have an appointment. But one thing which I think is important in any audition, before you do anything else, is to make sure that you're right for the part. And don't go if they're looking for a tall, slim, blonde 30-year-old, if you're short, fat, and nearly 50. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that's, that's one of the first things to think about. And secondly, um, I think that as you go on, go on thinking that you have a chance and not thinking, oh, there are 200 people here. I have no chance. At least go on thinking, I might get this. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. But yeah, it is, because that is a wonderful attitude. It, it, it's, it's very important. I want the first Broadway show I got, Dore Me, I was hired the first day, the first hour, and they had me come back and watch the auditions, which was kind of an appalling thing, as I was like 20 years old, going, this is all. But they really want to find someone. They really yes. want to like somebody and find someone, and you have to always remember that. Yeah. And they hope it's you. I mean, and it's... Every time. Every time, yeah. I, I have to tell young people, I, I'm not very encouraging, because... I, I, I take my hat off to them if I had a hat to take off, because I, I, if I were starting out today, I don't know if I could take it. The, 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 the competition and the numbers and the rather low increase in opportunity, if any, I, I don't know if I could, could uh, face that kind of a challenge. I'm so I salute you. didn't start that way. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Christine Toy. I have a question for Ms. Collins. I wanted to know how different was the experience of making the film of Shirley Valentine from doing the play? Very different, particularly for me, because it's the first film I've made. Um, I mean, I've done te television, obviously, but it was the first time I'd done a feature film. Uh, and also, the, the film has all the other characters in it. So I had the pleasure of reacting mm. to other actors rather than just to myself. And it was actually, f for me, a, a most delightful experience because I had a very old and experienced director called Louis Gilbert, who is one of the least egotistical and most supportive people I've ever worked with. Um, and, uh, and I really enjoyed the process of filmmaking. Uh, now, it was a little different because I obviously had the character under my belt. Now, I don't know what it would be like if I was thrown in. Did you make the film here or in England? I made it in Mykonos, in Greece. <gasps> Wasn't that one bad? And, and also in Liverpool and London. Thank you. Hello, I'm Roz Dunn, and I'd like to ask this question of the panel, and particularly Madeline Kahn. Is timing, particularly in comedy, instinctive or can it be taught? <laughs> um. <laughs> Think very yeah, we've just been talking about it. So, yeah. uh, the, the, the word timing, you know, uh, is something that I learned after realizing that I, in fact, have what is called timing. Um, so um, I liken it to um, a kind of a musical ability. That's the way it feels to me. I also have a musical ability, and I had it since I was little. I, I don't even, I can't 
you know, claim any credit for it. It's just like an ability for math or leaping or any other ability that you kind of have. I don't know what it's composed of, but it feels mostly like uh, an ear uh, for, for music. And there is, to me, a certain music in the writing um, and, and in the, the group which then forms to, to uh, say the writing. And uh, it, it, it can ideally feel like you're in a uh, small uh, musical a chamber orchestra. And uh, so with comedy, it, it, that's how it feels to me. My name is John Francis Fox. I'd like to ask the panel, how much do you rely on the director? What do you do when you think he's wrong? And what do you do when you disagree with the playwright's text? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is that all? I'll <laughs> take about three days. <laughs> with the playwright's stance? Uh, text, playwright's text, text. text. Why don't we just take one? Let's just take go with the director. Go with the director. Let's just go with the director. How do you how do you work with the director? Uh, everyone, everyone tells it. I'll answer that because mine sure. isn't here. <laughs> no, he was lovely. I think that the, the director ideally should initially create a warm place uh, for the actors to flower in. I don't think that he should impose on them something which doesn't come out of them. Um, I think having done that and having seen how they interact, he should then try to orchestrate what they have to offer. I, I believe that much. there is such a thing called focus and the director is essentially there to inform the actors when and where that focus is taking place. Uh, uh, as well as what you said. Thank you. Uh, my name is. Oh, excuse me. Oh, were you going to say something? I don't really feel we answered his yes. question. Uh, I mean, these people want to know the truth. You know what I'm saying? I just. <laughs> can we get. <laughs> I just. I just feel. I mean, in, in musicals, I have done plays, but musicals are, are quite a technical uh, productions, and they do rely on you, your own individuality a lot, and your whatever your gift is. I think they really do rely on that. When I feel. The director hasn't helped me. I just keep going. I mean, you really do have to take care of yourself yeah. and and be honest with the text and do the music and and just keep going because uh, most of the time I have felt I have not had the the help I wanted or the inspiration. Yeah. But if they hire everyone correctly, that's like in our show. Our, our whole cast is so gifted that alone would get it going. <laughs> I'd like to ask a question with Jerry, for example, as a director. Was it blocked out so, and this is the way you do it, and you don't change from this? Or does he give you, this is the way I would like it to be, and arrive at it in your own manner? Pretty much the latter. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's, there's a great deal of give and take. He, he is very amenable to suggestions that the actors might, might come up with. But ultimately, I, I, he acted in a way that I uh, feel most comfortable with. I do believe that you, you do need some voice when there's a collaborative effort like that, someone has to make a final decision. Mm -hmm. And if people resist that, it, it really creates chaos. Mm -hmm. and whether you agree with it or not, ultimately, it's like a marriage, really, yes. isn't it? Uh, it in some ways, you have to agree that somewhere along the line, someone has to make a final yes or no. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think once you accept that view, things become somewhat easier. But Thank you. Do you have a question? 
Uh, yeah, I'm Tracy Sallows, and I have a question concerning uh, researching a role. The minute you get the role, do you begin to research it, or do you wait uh, till you're working with the director to see which way he's going to take it? And uh, just if there's how much or what type, do you have a particular method in researching? In let, let me ask you a question in response. I don't want to. How many roles have you looked at or done that needed research? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on the type of the play. I find I do a lot of research when I'm doing Shakespeare and that kind of thing. This isn't my question, by the way. This oh, <laughs> so I was just trying to <laughs> phrase it in such a way that, because I know you guys do a ton of research, so I was trying to. No, no, no I don't. No. no, I don't. Hands, you don't. Up, hands up those who do well, research. Hmm? I said hands up those who do research. I do some, or I, I have in the, in the past. Mm -hmm. a little. Yeah. But not, not an enormous amount. Um, I think it depends on I think in the classes, if it is a period. It, uh, it I, I know some actors who do do a lot of research, you know, and um, it's it's fine for them, and and they're good also, you know. It doesn't destroy. Um, they're also imaginative and creative, you know. On top of that, it's sort of like an extra layer that they do, and I I think I've started you know, in the past few years to do, I never used to do any, and I think I've started to do a little bit more because I think it's harder to be good the older that you get. <laughs> so, cover my basis. Yes, I did, I did do some research for Heidi. I was here at CUNY, actually, at Linda Nochlin's graduate um, art history class. I visited. Didn't understand what they were talking about. <laughs> but I went. <laughs> Hi, my name is Josh Pearl. I was wondering if... Uh, there's someone in your lives who's been a big influence in, in the, you know, in your decision to be a, theat you know, be an actor or anything. So. I've already mentioned mine. Yes, yeah. right. I think we all have. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Sills did it for me. I think a lot. I think that someone once answered this: your family, because you're going to need them to support you. Would <laughs> <laughs> you come along? And they did. <laughs> Uh, my name is Chris McGarry, and uh, even though you're all starring in Broadway productions now, I was just wondering, do you still study acting, or well, any I, or all of you? I, I worked with a Russian actor two years ago who didn't speak English, so we both spoke French to each other. And he um, took some classes in the Stanislavski method, which I was not familiar with, and I found it magic. I, don't, I study singing still working. I haven't taken an acting class in a while. Uh, it all gets, your time gets tight. I think it's hard to do it all. I also wanted to ask you what happened to your arm. I broke my arm. Mm -hmm. I fell down on my day off. <laughs> but I'm, I'm in the show. I'm in the show. So it's okay. Thank you. But you're still being the witch. Oh, sure. And I cannot climb Rapunzel's tower. That's the only thing I can't do. <laughs> climb up her hair. I miss it. <laughs> Mr. Salt, earlier you mentioned the lack of musicals on Broadway, which makes song and dance people like me very sad. Do you or any of the other panelists have any convictions or ideas to remedy this situation? I'm young. I still have a few more years to go. Let's get more musicals I, out there. <laughs> I don't know. It is scary. It's very scary to me. I, and it was funny because last week I was so depressed about it. I started thinking about it and I just thought, what is going to happen? And then someone said, gosh, I just saw a run-through of a new musical. It's great. Oh, Grand God. Hotel. They said it was just wonderful. Oh, I went, oh, goody, because somewhere, someplace, yeah. there is always going to be somebody writing a musical. I mean, right. there just will be. But, but it is hard. You have to do 
what I do. You go out of town and do one or, you know, it, go do stock. And it's the economics <laughs> that are dreadful. That's, mm. that's the problem. I don't think artistically it has nothing. You know, yes, because we're still you, there's the space. Shape. You see empty theaters all exactly. over the city. It's just too expensive. Well, someday yeah. we'll come back to the bare stage principle. Mm. <laughs> they will. Any suggestions? I, I think the theater community and leaders of the various factions of the unions and of the actors' uh, unions and the, the crafts people and the producers and all should get together. I'm, I'm astonished that something uh, isn't being done uh, in a more uh, productive way, some kind of plan, some, at least to discuss it. Apparently, there is a, there's very a, little a, of that. A musical theater alliance now. All the major <laughs> summer musical theaters have formed a, a group to try to really uh, to start new things. That then they will send around to all those theaters. Costs so have got to be yeah. the costs are made the point that it's a union that you have to get together. We Has your union together. done anything about this in helping? Uh, Our union? Uh, about the no, I don't. I don't know that much. I, I don't really. I, I'm not uh, one one who attends the union meetings very much. Uh, I must confess, but I don't know if they are or not. I suspect they're not. From the thing, I and I, I would venture to say that if you'll examine the costs of a theatrical production, you will not find our union costs uh, the the. Uh, yeah. The uh, throat cutting ones. Yes, indeed. But there are the other ones, though. Yes, all. all. Um, as a visitor to this uh, city, I, I'm under the impression that it is not musicals that are so falling in numbers, but straight plays. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think <laughs> that there seem to be quite a lot of musicals on here, many of which appear to have come from England, but they. <laughs> Yeah, sure. but they're not in the tradition of what I call a real musical. They yeah. seem to rely more on spectacle and um, scenery and uh, things leaping out of the sky than on actually performers singing and dancing, which is what we uh, had always loved about the Broadway musical and which we could never emulate and still can't. I mean, our musicals are still not what I would call a real musical, although they're here. You're doing rather well with them. They are doing well, but, th but they're more to do mm -hmm. with the scenery and spectacle mm -hmm. and getting value for money um, than to do with the real old-fashioned kind of musical. That's why I adored Jerome Robbins' Broadway. Have you, have you thought of, of having a resident theatre company in New York so that you could do straight plays here in New York? We, we, we have a group in, in, in Los Angeles that is working towards this. Mm -hmm. uh, we started off with radio. We have about 40 players, uh, name players, and uh, uh, radio has been a wonderful binding process for us because it That's doesn't a take up a lot of time. Thing I've read about. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, it <coughs> binds us together. We, we get to go through a lot of plays. We get to, to smell each other out, feel each other out, and uh, uh, we're not committed to a long term. But eventually, we will dedicate ourselves to doing a couple of plays, and we've even been asked to appear in London for about a six or eight week period. What about doing it in New York? <clears throat> I have no objections to that. <laughs> My experience, if I may interject here, is, is uh, one that uh, we've, we've tried it already. The, the Repertory Theater Lincoln Center, which is now being run by Greg Mosier from, uh, uh, had been tried, of course, originally with uh, Kazan and Robert Whitehead. The problem uh, then, and when I was there for a good number of years with Jules Irving, the problem is you can't get uh, actors to sign up for any length of time. And the more prominent the actor, the more difficult it is yeah. for him to commit himself or her to commit themselves to a repertory situation. 
That's always been the problem. They, first of all, they don't pay enough. They can't pay enough. And uh, uh, they, they just cannot be, be asked to stay for that length of time. It's, uh, it's something that uh, I, don't, I don't see a solution to, except something on the order of what they have in London, where they have a kind of a loose collaboration, don't they? Uh, but the national, sure. you mean? Yeah, the national. Well, you're, yes. you're part of the company, but it's very flexible. They have a, a considerably yes. uh, How long are you expecting to contribute time in terms of the Too long. <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, they usually want you to commit for 18 months, so maybe one or two plays. 18 months? Yes. But actually, I, I think that, um, the idea, although it's a wonderful idea, because you do get to work with the same people, the idea of a repertory of any kind is incestuous, because I think that you become tricksy and used to playing with the same people. And I think change is uh, what the theatre is about. And, and I think the change should always the roles be new people. and working with different people in different, different roles people, yeah. is very important. Yeah, and just I, I, as you get named performers to come in and take over in a role, I think you can yes. get named performers to come into a company for a limited amount of time. On the other hand, though, the very, uh, the very idea of working with the same people over an extended period of time, I think is, uh, I suppose there's room for argument here, obviously, is what contributes to great theatre uh, mm -hmm. in many, many instances. I mean, when people know each other so well that uh, it, you kind of transcend the ordinary relationship that you... Do with a stranger. Uh, sometimes, but sometimes well, look at the history you of the lack the, I mean, the excitement. The great, great theatre in, in most of our, uh, I mean, the National Theatre and the Royal Shakespeare, the Comédie Française, the, the Moscow Art Theatre, we're all rep company. Uh, the group theatre. The group theatre, indeed. Yeah. I mean, you've got, that's why I think the great theatre eventually. All to the benefit of the audience. And I think it's sad that we don't have that situation in the States. I agree. I mean, it's a disgrace that we don't have a we National Theatre of some sort. We can go on, and, and once more, it is my sad duty to interrupt this wonderful panel, this, these knowledgeable people in, in every field of the theater, these performers who have come to tell us what it's like to work in the theater and as part of the American Theater Wing seminars on performance. And these seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm president of the American Theater Wing, and this is but one of our year-round programs. I thank you all for being here, and I thank this panel for giving so much of their time and their efforts to us. We are indeed grateful to you. Thank you. Say, research doesn't get stuck. <laughs>